Hello, welcome to this Issue Engage podcast. I'm Simon. And I'm Jamie. And this week we're doing a real science episode. And this time, as you can tell by the title, we're doing the Voyager 1 and 2 space probes. Um, and the numbers are astonishing for this episode. They really are. And we have a ton of research. Yes. It's um, been 22. Two or pages worth. Yeah. I gave Jamie slightly tweaks because I know what he's like. So I gave him one without a, a chart in it, without a table in it, because I knew he'd ignore it anyhow. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I know he wants to say a story about that. So well, it's, well, it's first of all, it's been. I think it has been a fair while since we had some this many notes for an episode. I can't remember the last time we had actually quite in-depth research like this. So it's been a while, but it's you know it's not the most we've ever had. And yes, I also want to um, put out a special thanks to Simon because with these notes, uh, I had a long story short, I had a kind of not a great week last week of when we're recording this, and I struggled to get the notes off my computer. So when I spoke to Simon, he very very kindly and graciously printed off uh, the notes and actually bought them to me, drove all the way down to see me, dropped them off to me, bless him. So I just want to put a big thank you to Simon for that because without him, I would have been totally screwed. Yeah, these are the notes that you can't, as we usually say, wing it. No. You couldn't do it on your phone because that would have been ludicrous. No, because I think it's like, I think with the email you sent me with the... Uh, the links just kept going up and up because yeah. I kept finding things. So I think I ended up with about nine different links within the... That's about right. ...official website. Yeah, because obviously... Which will be in the notes, which will be in the blurb as well because I think it's worth looking at them because it's just bonkers, everything that was in it and I cannibalised everything that was in it that I thought was of interest because it, it goes on. And the other thing as well is these are uh, from the actual... Official NASA, NASA website. Yeah, because you had... These are proper. These aren't, yeah. these aren't Wikipedia for once in our lives, for yeah. once. Because we wanted to... It's, it's, as you said to me, it kind of makes it more... Makes the notes more authentic. Even though you can tell they haven't updated them in years. But yeah. But, I mean, I that's know. one of the things I did put down, info outdated needs to be updated, because I think it's been about three years since then. It's, I think the last time the website updated it was, I think it was like three years ago. Um, but as the blurb says, because, well, that's a good place to kind of vaguely start. If I can find it, which is... Oh, there you go. Yeah. Inspiring the Voyager 6 space probe, which went on to be Voyager in such a motion picture, we take a look at its real-life counterparts, Voyager 1 and 2 space probes, both launched in 1977, becoming the most distant artificial human-made objects. And to further on... Um... The Voyager spacecraft are the third and fourth human spacecraft to fly beyond all the planets in our solar system. Pioneers 10 and 11 preceded Voyager in outstripping the gravitational attraction of the Sun, but on February uh, 17th, 1988, Voyager 1 passed Pioneer 10 to become the most distant human-made object in space, and they are both currently in interstellar space. Yeah, because they reached uh, they reached that in, I think it was, uh, was it August 2012? If I recall? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we must also point out that you really, really, really need to check out the documentary The Farthest, yeah. which is one of the best documentaries I've ever watched. And I think before Jamie got into this, Jamie was like, why are we doing it on Voyager? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously... Looked at notes and just went, yeah, okay, yeah I, sure. I've got to be honest, I, I did struggle with these notes. 
because uh, this is said this is more kind of you and your dad's putting the footwork in this and the hard really work into this. You really did. So if I'm kind of maybe not as uh, vocal in this episode, you kind of understand why. Uh, but this documentary was really fantastic in kind of compartmentalising the actual notes here and in kind of explaining things in layman's terms, which is no criticism on the notes. I mean, you know, the fact it's more kind of scientific, I completely understand. It said it lends it that authenticity, which is why we went for these instead of Wikipedia. But the documentary definitely did help. And I kind of feel like I understand some of this. I'm going to be honest, not all of it. But I do kind of understand some of it. I think I kind of got the gist of roughly kind of what he was saying. But there again, there'll be a link to the documentary in the notes of the IMDb page yeah. so that you can go and yeah. find it for yourself. I mean, as you said to me, I think the documentary was a couple of hours and it literally it flew by, literally. Because um, I watched it over a couple of days. Uh, I watched like an hour of it one day and an hour the next. And yeah, it, it was... Uh, an amazing documentary and just this whole thing with the... Um, I just caught it one night on BBC and just went, that's cool, like, that's amazing. I, I, I need to get a copy of that. Well, yeah, because, I mean, even just... I mean, even just opening with the fact that these two space probes, I think the, originally it was meant to only last, was it five? Was it five years originally? Something like that. And, well... There's still out there. Yeah, which I think is just absolutely incredible and, I, and you've got to think back in ni- back in uh, 1977 when they launched uh, the probes they that probably didn't cross their minds that it was last this long but even to this date I'm assuming even now this the, the probes are still um, what's the word they're sending telemetry sending they, they are barely sending some it's that sad bit right then documentary it's a bit like oh, the sad thought that there is going to be a day where we can't contact them. Yeah. And even at this point in time, it takes them, I think it was 18 hours to get signals yeah. to and from. The probe to NASA, yeah. Which is just bonkers. Mm. Yeah. Because um, they were built in 1972. Uh, Voyager 2 was launched on August 20th, 1977. Um, aboard a Tyson Centaur rocket, which me we were, we were talking about earlier, mm. and then Voyager One was launched on September fifth, seventy seven, on the same sort of dynamic. Yeah, but that's because it got a quicker uh, slingshot than Voyager Two, which oh, really that's confused why. the media, which is hilarious. Oh yeah, that's why it's obviously further right ahead, isn't it? Because of that, yeah. So um. Between them, Voyager 1 and 2 explored all of the giant planets of our outer solar system, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. 14. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. We're going the scientific route for Uranus. We're not doing this rubbish of Uranus because that's not accurate. If you watch any scientific documentary, they call it Uranus. Yeah. So we're calling it Uranus because that's the scientifically scientific difference. Um, Correct way of saying yes. it. Yes. And you actually made a note of that, Dan. You actually told me, and I'm glad you did. And to be fair, Jamie said to me, yeah, I know. Yeah, thanks anyhow, but I already That's know. Fine. Right? It's, it's fine, it's fine. But I appreciated Jamie going, thanks, but I, I already know. So I appreciated Jamie kind of going, yeah, I kind of, 
I wasn't going to say for what, like for once. Like, no, I wasn't no. going. Well, if, if this was a more light-hearted, jokey episode, then yeah, maybe. But this is more of a more of a serious scientific one, so we're gonna we're gonna you know do it seriously. Um, uh, uh, forty-eight of their moons and the unique system of rings and magnetic fields those planets possess. Um, do you want me to read out the rest of that? Yeah. yeah. The closest approach to Jupiter occurred on March the fifth, nineteen seventy-nine, for Voyager one. And July 9th, uh, same year for Voyager 2. The closest approach to Saturn occurred on November 12th, 1980 for Voyager 1. And the 25th of August, 1981 for Voyager 2. The closest approach to um, Uranus occurred on January 24th, 1986 by Voyager 2. And uh, approach to Neptune on the 25th of August, 1989, do you want me to leave you the gold record stuff? Because I know that's kind of one of the key talking points and that's something you kind of vaguely... I get, and you, it's really, really quite So I can't retake that away from you. <laughs> even though it is the kind of... The, I, I love it. Even the documentary where they're going, yeah, it is like, we've got all these scientific things on it and you want to talk about the bloody gold disc. Like, yeah. come on, people. Like, <laughs> um, There well, we'll are currently five scientific investigation teams participating in the interstellar mission with accommodating instruments on board the Voyagers directly supporting their investigations. So there's a magnetic field investigation with the instrument, low energy charge uh, particle investigation with the accompanying instrument, just get used to me saying instrument, cosmic yeah. ray investigation with its instrument, Voyager 2 came with a plasma invest investigation with its instrument, uh, plasma wave investigation with its instrument and Voyager 1 had the ultraviolet spectrometer subsystem. Um, what we have got to point out is at this point in time when they are 13, well, over 10 billion miles away from pretty much any planet, most of those systems are now turned off because they're no help to anyone. No. They have now become, what was it, ultraviolet spacecraft? Yeah. I think. So they are running on fumes effectively, effectively these days. And they, in recent news, they just managed to eke out a few more years of power. That was it, yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I haven't added to the mix, but that's, that's the current news where they've managed to eke out another three years out of... I think Voyage One. Well, what I what I what I love what you mentioned to me was how how actually how fast it travels. How many yeah, well, miles? In the documentary, they said oh. ten miles per second. Yeah, and I thought that okay, that's, that's interesting. Shoved it into Google and went. You calculated that's it. Thirty six thousand miles per hour, which is just bonkers yeah. numbers. And I say we did have. We got an update and it said, as of April 2020, Voyager 1 is at a distance of 22.3 billion kilometres. And, well, that's great if you're in mainland Europe. So I think, you know what, I'm going to convert that to miles because I know what miles are. 13.8 billion miles, which also translates to 149 AUs, which are astronomical units, which in itself works out to be 93 million miles. So that that say that ninety three million miles is just one astronomical units. So that is just bonkers numbers. 
Uh, Voyager 1 escaped in socism at speed of um, about 3.6 AUs per year. Voyager closely behind. Voyager 2 is at 11.4 billion miles and is at 3.3 AUs per year. It's escaping our um, solar system. Well, it already has, but... Yeah. This is where it gets a bit annoying and you kind of go, I wish they'd update it, but why would you... Like, they got... They they got shipped out of um, the jet propulsion laboratory. They're in some industrial state outside of aren't they at the moment? This kind of small office, and you just go the whole of this thing is it controlled from a small little office where it's just kind well, of. I was I was wondering. I mean, I wonder if you've still got actually people that have been with the Voyager probe since it actually was built and launched back in the seventies. Possibly. Yeah. Um, okay, so here we go. The, the twin spacecraft Voyager 1 and 2 were launched by NASA in separate months in summer of 77 from Cape Canaveral, Florida. As originally designed, the Voyagers were to conduct close-up studies of Jupiter, Saturn, Saturn rings, and larger moons of the two planets. And as James said earlier, built to last five years. But as the mission went on, and with the successful achievement of all its objectives of additional flybys of two outermost giant planets, Uranus and Neptune, proved possible, there is a mission to scientists and engineers the Voyager's home at JPL in Pasadena, California. Um, their five-year lifespans were stretched to 12 and more. Eventually, between them, Voyager 1 and 2 would explore all the giant pla- outer planets, um... And our solar system, 48 of their moons and unique systems, rings and magnetic field, fields on those planets possess. Um, even requiring them to reprogram it midway through, which I thought was incredible. And you've got to bear in mind, all of this done, like with Apollo, done with analogue technology. Yeah. And you have more, again, it's the same logic you can put towards Apollo, you have more power on your smartphone than they did with that. And they were still able to reprogram it. Well, we got some moon there, and they're running on very small megabytes of power computer knowledge, which is just bonkers. It, it, it's hard to believe. And then, and then you look at the magic that is James Webb and man, what we can do these days, but that was 1977. Yeah. And we've got these incredible... And the amount of science they've done is just incredible. And it goes on and on and on. I say, what was it, 22 pages worth of yeah. science? Um, so they then went on to an Outer Planets Grand Tour. Um, because they were helped by the alignment of the solar system at the time, which meant that they could slingshot gravity assist around all the planets so that they wouldn't need as much fuel to get to the planets as if they would need to because they thought it would cost one billion dollars if they had to do it um man-made without uh gravity assist that's what i mean i I said i love the whole they you know it was designed to take advantage of a rare geometric arrangement uh, arrangement of the outer planets in the late 1970s and 80s which allowed for a four-planet tour for a minimum of propellant and trip time. This layout of Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune, which occurs about every 175 years, 
So the fact that they're able to time it so specifically to allow that to happen, as you say, is just amazing. The flight time to, to Neptune was reduced from 30 years to 12, which is which is crazy talk in terms of space mm. exploration. Um, oh, yeah, Voyager was launched first on, on the date I previously stated. Uh, Voyager 1 was launched on a fast, short trajectory. Uh, both spacecraft were delivered to uh, space aboard Titan Centaur expendable rockets, which, if you do a bit of research, and they do mention in the documentary, are ex-intercontinental ballistic missiles. Something Jamie didn't realise until I mentioned it before yeah. we got going is that there's actually a very subtle Starship reference in there because obviously Titan 3 is the next intercontinental dismissal. The same my head was going, why does Titan rocket sound familiar to me? And then I got thinking about the Phoenix and actually the Titan was, it was launched, the Phoenix was launched on a Titan 5 missile. So, one of the predecessors to the Titan Three. So that was a very cool little reference, not ref, but it was a very cool thing. And obviously, we end up with Voyager Six. Voyager, maybe should we go into that a bit briefly? Yep. Voyager Six, because that's also a very interesting story. Because I did a bit of digging into that. I, I got, it got back to final hours of getting my notes together. And thought, actually, it would probably be a good idea to have some notes about Voyager 6 and Vedra in here. Um, and obviously, Voyager 6 was, was fictional. But what I love was, JPL's director, John R. Cassini, agreed to loan the model to the studio in October 77, mere months after the actual Voyager proto launch in August and September that year. Um... And then there's things about kind of it was lost to a black hole and emerged on the other side where it fell into a gravitational field of a planet populated by a race of living machines um, who reprogrammed it and sent it back the other way. And what I found out recently, what I found out during the notes, according to the writers of the Star Trek chronology, shortly after Q Who was produced, Jim Warren half jokingly speculated that the planet encountered by Voyager might have been the Borg homeworld, which is the origins of that theory. Mm. So actually, Gene Roddenberry is kind of responsible for that theory, which is quite cool, really. Yeah, and just the fact that you've got a little bit... Which of... they, they gave it to Star Trek and went, here, have fun with it. And if you look into it further, they were even offered something even fancier for it, and they turned it down for the kind of static model. Mm. They were offered something even more... Like one of the fancy, fancy models. They got the kind of, here. here's the static model. Mm. But I think they were offered something even better. Do you know what it was? I can't remember from the notes, but it was like... And they went, no, 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 we, we don't could, don't we, give it to us. We're, we're, we're happy with what you've given yeah. us, but don't give us the... Well, I just love the fact you've got a little bit... Because of... it was worth like thousands of dollars, like mm. hundreds of thousands of dollars and they went oh god no don't give it to us give us the cheaper one and i think what's just really quite cool with say with this whole vj thing and you mentioned about um zephyr and cochrane it's a nice little bit of mingling with science fiction and facts it's you know and i thought what occurred to me was that were the um producers of voyage star trek voyager inspired by the voyager space probes 
Because you've got to bear in mind, they were in production in 94, I think I finally worked out. So which point it was still going around, finish off in the solar system and it was on its way out of the solar system. So I wonder if there was a kind of a thing in their brains where it's been like, actually, that's a pretty cool concept. Because mm. they at that point in time, they weren't the most distant human-made objects because Pioneer 10 was still doing it, but they were mm. going out there. So I wonder if there's a thing where it's been like, well, actually, why don't we make a ship where they're going mm. when no humans have gone before and you end up with Voyager and the Delta Quadrant? Mm. Yeah, it could have been said. It could have been an inspiration, couldn't it? Something I might ask Larry about. Something I've, something I've got written down. Uh, go on, Jamie. Go and do the gold discs. I know you're <laughs> eager to go and do it. Yeah, so the golden record. So, um, and I kind of gave Jamie a few points as well with that as well, didn't I? I gave him a few help with the kind of yeah. helping to understand what the hell the thing means. Um, so both Voyager spacecrafts carried a greeting to any form of life. This is on the first page. Yeah. Should they be encountered? The message is carried by a phonograph record, a 12-inch gold-plated copper disc containing sounds and images selected to portray the diversity of life and culture on Earth. The contents of the record uh, were selected for NASA by a committee chaired by Carl Sagan of, of Cornell University. Dr Sagan and his associates assembled 115 images and a variety of natural sounds. To this, they added musical selections from different cultures and eras and spoke greetings Spoken greetings from Earth people in 55 languages. Go to the website and go and have a listen to them all because they're all on there. All the pictures are on there. Everything that you can possibly imagine is on that website. And they're even on SoundCloud. I sent you the link originally when we yeah. did this and they're all on there as well. So you can go and actually have a listen to what is actually on that disc. Which is just bonkers. And what my favourite... Oh, we'll have to talk about... What, what isn't on there as well because that's hilarious well, yeah. I just think that's hilarious it's like oh no not, we're not having that on there like, you never <laughs> get heard and he's going really like for prosperity mm. go on Jeremy right so um, Pioneers 10 and 11 which preceded Voyager both oh we should say it's got a running time of two hours I think I yes. say in the episode as well yeah in the, in the, sorry Jeremy carry on carry um, on Pioneers 10 and 11 which preceded Voyager both carry small metal plaques identifying their time and place of origin for the benefit of any other spacefarers that might find them in the distant future the famous nudie man and woman picture that's where yeah. that origin comes from with this example before them nasa placed a more ambitious message aboard voyager one and two a kind of time capsule intended to communicate a story of our world to extraterrestrials the voyager message is code as i said kind of what we already said uh, previously um right so wait they only had six weeks to produce it yeah which i thought was bonkers and the fact they managed to get all that all together, I said all those from the diverse range of like picking out specific music from different eras, and I said all the greet and spoken in fifty five languages, just incredible. I love the way they went around the office and went, "You speak Portuguese, don't you? Yeah, come on in, like yeah. come on." <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's like you can imagine them going around and just kind of finding around these random people, going, "You talk random language." Come on in, come and record it. You've got five minutes to think about what you're going to say for prosperity, and that's it. And you're going, okay. Um, you could just, you could just imagine them just being like sitting down, and all nervous down, and suddenly they're pulled in, and, re- and not so even. You've got to bear in mind, you've got six weeks producing, and it's like clock's ticking. Yeah. Right. So you're and, just going to just go, and they're just ah. going to be part of, like their voice will live on after they've passed, like being a part. And of- the two asked their son as well. Yeah, which I thought was really sweet. Mm. It just, oh, uh, yeah. 
so um so what we've got here as well is uh, a diagram so there's specifically the actual disc itself uh, which simon is um and there's like an explanation of like the the recording cover and simon is very kindly not only labeled the diagram from was it one to six but also where it's talking about that information and actually explaining what it because is because i knew i've done this long and i've done we've done this long enough where i knew jane would get perspex by it i was a bit confused by it and thought actually that'd be helpful for me actually why don't i annotate this for jamie so jamie knows what the hell he's looking at so do you want me to read what's in the diagram and then read the info um sure it is it, they need to look at the picture but yeah um so, so uh, it's on the website if you want to look it up. But Jamie will try and read it out and try and explain it as yeah. best he can because I reckon um, at certain points he'll go over to you, so I have to try and make heads or tails of that. Yeah, right. Is so that, is that accurate? Yeah. So we've got obviously the first <laughs> bit is obviously um, you've got the outline of the cartridge with stylus. It's effectively how the hell you make a vinyl record player work, which is really yeah. kind of helpful. Yeah, effectively. And that's a large proportion of it, and it's kind of up down up, down approach, and it's kind of this is where it goes in, and because it actually comes with a stylus and stuff like that, and it's, yeah. Because their logic was well, if they're in interstellar space, they've got enough technology to manage work out how a phonograph works. Yeah, which which is a fair supposition. So obviously, well, yeah, if you've got a fast and light engine, you can pre-work out how to use a feeble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've got the outline of cartridge with stylus to play the record. So, um, so you've got the drawing of the phonograph record and the stylus code within it. This stylus, the stylus is in the correct position to play the record from the beginning. Written around it in binary ar- arithmetic is the correct time of one rotation of the record. So three point six seconds, expressed in time units of zero point seventy billionths of a second. A time period associated with a fundamental transition of the hydrogen atom. Um, it, also, the drawing indicates that the record should be played from the outside in. So, it's, as you say, it's effectively explaining to the extraterrestrials they encounter or whatever. How well, to- yeah, they have a basic understanding of the periodic table, so they will know what a hydrogen atom is yeah. or whatever they call it. Uh, and then you've got, obviously, the next part of the diagram is... Uh, a side view of the record and stylus with a binary number given the time to play one side of the record. About an hour. As you said, overall it's about two hours. Um, the next part of it is... Um, so, it's kind of showing how the pictures are constructed from the recorded signals. So you've got like a general appearance of a waveform or video signals found on the recording. Um uh, it shows a typical signal that occurs at the start of a picture. The picture is made from this signal, which traces the picture as a series of vertical lines similar to ordinary TV, in which the picture is a set uh, is a series of horizontal lines. Um, picture lines one, two, and three are noted in binary numbers, and the duration of one of the picture lines of about eight milliseconds is noted. As I said, you kind of need to really kind of I said view the the actual diagram to kind of... And then the, if you go to the right page, it's this definition's on there as well. So you get the whole kit and caboodle, but for now, this we have to do. Yeah. Um, uh, the drawing immediately below shows how these lines are to be drawn vertically with staggered interlace to give the correct picture rendition. So in other words, that's view the picture clearly, yeah? 
yeah it's effectively a sample picture to make sure they've got it right before you can view all the proper pictures that are within the yeah. record effectively is what they're trying to say because it's been like idiot's guide to how to get the pictures to work and then obviously below that you've got it says also you've got number four so the actual picture that it shows yeah so immediately below this is a replica of the first picture on the record to permit the recipients to verify their decoding the signal signals correctly a circle was used in this picture to ensure the recipients use the correct ratio of horizontal to vertical height in picture reconstruction. So in other words, it's as I said, it's a way for them to actually be able to decode the actual message itself. In layman's, in, in simple terms, it's, being, it's for the extraterrestrials to be able to actually decode the message and understand it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, effectively is what we're saying there. Okay. This is where we might lose Jamie. Yeah, you probably will do. But I'm going to read it out anyway. Then the read next... it out and then I can try and explain it, Jamie. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> so the next part of the actual uh, diagram is... Um, pulsar the... map. Yeah, it's a pulsar map previously sent as part of the plaques on Pioneers 10 and 11. It shows the location of the solar system with respect to 14 pulsars whose precise periods are given. So obviously that's to explain to the extraterrestrials where our planet actually is. Do you know what a pulsar is, Jamie? I want to say yes, but that would be untrue. What's your guess? Or do you have no guess? Because there's a blank look on Jamie's explanation. Well, obviously I've heard the con- I've obviously heard of the word pulsars being used. Is it something to do with stars? Correct. You're on the right route, yeah. So the closest stars to us all give out pulsars at different frequencies and different rates and that and for, and, they, and and within this that, that would help the extra that would help the extraterrestrials locate where you the find where all is. those pulsars are yeah you can map out where the hell we are but right. if you look at it's effectively a way of triangulating where we're from yeah oh and of course <laughs> all goes Um, what were we saying, Jamie? Because I'm. You said uh, it's a way for them to uh, triangulate our position. Yeah, and then at the heart of that is Earth. Yeah. But if they've got enough technology, they can work out the different pulsar rates around us, mm. and then you just effectively just try and find all those pulsars and go, well, that's from there then. Yeah. But as I said to you previously. Voyager probes are also living a breadcrumb trail. Mm. So, because if you read on a bit further, if you go on to um, the one above the picture, yeah, um, uh, it might be worth you finishing off the last bit. Yeah. Um, so, we've also got another part of the diagram. It says a drawing contains two circles. Um, which is a drawing of the hydrogen atom in its two lowest states with a connecting line and digit one to indicate that the time interval associated with the transition from one state to the other is to be used as a fundamental time scale, both for the time given on the cover and in the decoded pictures. Now, the next bit is a breadcrumb trail. Of, of the actual journey that Voyager the both probes have been on, yeah? Yeah, because yeah. it will lead a trail, because if you read it, yeah. Lead a trail um, of where it's been. Electroplated onto the record's cover is an ultra-pure source of uranium, 
mark, 238. 238 with a radioactivity of about 0. 0.00 microcuries. Yeah, 260 found was the one that came up with Mercury. Hmm. She found about X-rays and radioactivity and whatnot. That's what that's named after. But that's a very small amount of it. So that's safe, mm. is what I would say. But it's a very micro trail that they can follow. Because what it says is the decay of uranium source into its daughter isotopes makes it a kind of radi radioactive clock. Half the uranium-238 will decay in 4.51 billion years. Do you remember what half-lives are? Hmm. So for every year or something, it loses half of its... Um, oh, God, I can't remember. It decays. Yeah. So it's going to take 4.5 billion years to decay fully, by which point it's like... So that's got a really long half-life, which is just what you need for that sort of thing. Thus... Um, Examining this two centimeters diameter error on this record plate, measuring the amount of daughter elements to the remaining uranium 238, an alien of the spacecraft could calculate the time lapse since a spot of uranium was placed aboard the spacecraft. There should be check on the epoch of launch, which is also described by the pulsar map on the record plan. So it's effectively it's a way of going, okay, well, we've got where they're from, this matches where the Okay, it was launched on roughly this year. Hmm. I think as well as kind of what it was saying. Do you want to carry on reading yeah. all this? Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, so um, this is uh, this is more about the content. What is actually the contents of the golden record? Um, so we mentioned about how it's selected by Carl Sagan. Um, Associates uh, so 115 images and a variety of natural sounds such as those made by surf, wind, and thunder birds, whales, and other animals. To this, they added musical selections from different cultures and eras as spoke Green said in 55 languages and printed messages from President Carter and UN Secretary General Waldheim. Four hour time. Yeah. The spacecraft will be encountered and the record played only if there are advanced spacefaring civilizations and interstellar space. That's a direct quote from Carl Sagan. Each record is encased in a, in a protective aluminium jacket together with a cartridge and a needle. Instructions in symbolic language explain the origin of the spacecraft and indicate how the record is to be played. The 115 images are encoded in analogue form. Um, the remainder of the record is in audio designed to be played at 16... And two-thirds. Thank you. Revolutions per minute. It Again, that's, that's before our times so or vinyl. Don't yeah. get it. It contains the spoken <laughs> greetings beginning with... Akkadian, which was spoken in Sumer about 6,000 years ago and ending with Wu, a modern Chinese dialect. Following the section on the sounds of Earth, there's an uh, eclectic 90-minute selection of music, including both Eastern and Western classics and a variety of ethnic music. <laughs> Once a Voyager spacecraft leaves the solar system by 1990 both will be on the orbit of Pluto they will find themselves in empty space it will be 40,000 years before they make a close approach to any other planetary system as Carl Sagan has noted just read that yeah by its yeah what they said in the documentary was that they say about western music the Beatles refused why 
We won't get hurt by anyone. That was it. That was same like they they don't have a contract rats out of space, and you just go, oh, for God's sake, Beatles, really. Um, but they launched. So that first bit was, was said. But they launched this bottle into the cosmic ocean, so I'm very hopeful about life on this planet. Um, the definitive work about the Voyager record is Murmurs of Earth by Executive Director Carl Sagan, uh, Technical Director Frank Drake, Creative Director and Druyan. Producer Timothy Ferris, designer John Lohenberg, and greetings organizer Linda Salzman. Basically, this book is a story behind the creation of the record, includes a full list of everything on it. Murmurs of Earth, originally published in 1978, was reissued in 1992 by Warner News Media with a CD ROM that replicates the Voyager record. Unfortunately, this book is now out of print, but it is worth the effort to try and find a used copy or browse through a library one. I always love your commitment to read everything out. Oh, you've got to read everything out. <laughs> Jamie, look up. Yes, you didn't download that bit. Well, I, well these people, that, that bit, well, you've got to give me at least the people who were on the project. I think it's I think it's nice and important to read out their names. Yeah, the vital importance of going to a library. Yes, yes, it's important. Well, it's sad as well with that bit. So it's kind of sad there's no... You can't get it anymore, so... Right, so the making of it, this is just a short bit. This one will be stream it these days, yeah. Jamie. Many people were instru- Well, again, it's on the SoundCloud. It's available on their website. Yes, I know, but it's something nostalgic about it being from that time. I don't know. That's just me. Anyway, many people were instrumental in the design, development, and manufacture of the Golden Record. Um, uh, let's see. Right, um, uh, it was all sent to James G. Lee Record Processing Center in Gard- Gardena, California, to cut on gold plate eight Voyager records. Gold plating took place on August 23rd, 1977. Afterwards, the records were mounted in aluminium containers and delivered to JPL. The record is constructed of gold plated copper and is 12 inches, 30 centimeters, in diameter. The records covered is aluminium and electroplated upon it is an ultra-pure sample of the isotope uranium-238. It has, as I said, half-life of 4.468 billion years. The record also has the inscription to the makers of music, all worlds, all times, hand etched on its surface. It's just incredible. Just, And that's just the gold record. That's not even going into its primarily mission of the, a grand tour. That's not even doing anything that is even... Well, we don't need to go into all that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> or going into its um, experiments, because we've, we've done it all. There's everything included in this. Yeah. Uh... yeah. But thank you for letting me read out the gold record section. So that's the section I found most interesting and easy to understand. Still had to think a bit, but I vaguely grasp it. What do you want to do next, Jamie? Should we talk about uh, the planets that he visited? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was hoping you'd say. Yeah. Uh, let's try and find. So where was? So Jupiter, yeah. That bit. My oh my going a bit too. No, I think that's right. Yeah. You yeah. start, Jamie, while I catch up. Um, Voyager 1 made its closest approach to Jupiter on the uh, March 5th, 1979, and Voyager 2 followed with its closest approach to Cone July 9th, the same year. 
Um, the first spacecraft flew within. Do you want me to just read out the miles of it? Um. Yeah. Yeah. 172,368 miles of the planet's cloud tops and Voyager 2 came within 404,003 miles. Um, Jupiter is the largest planet... Do you want me to read that, that bit about it, about Jupiter itself? Yeah, add yeah. that down here. Uh, it's the largest planet in the solar system composed mainly of hydrogen and helium with small amounts of methane, ammonia, water vapour, traces of other compounds and a core of melted rock and ice. Colourful latitudinal bands and atmospheric clouds and storms illustrate Jupiter's dynamic weather system. The giant planet is now known to possess 16 moons. The planet completes one orbit of the sun each 11.8 years and its day is 9 hours 55 minutes. So basically 10 hours. Um, so even though it's been studied for centuries through telescopes, you know, scientists were amazed! Um, the Great Red Spot was revealed as a complex storm moving in a counterclockwise direction. An array of other smaller storms and eddies were found throughout the banded clouds. Future location of a bore queue. Go. Uh, right. Did you want to read the next bit? Discovery of active volcanism on the satellite IO was easily the greatest unexpected discovery at Jupiter. It was the first time active volcanoes had been on another body in the solar system. Plumes from the volcanoes extend more than 300 kilometres or 190 miles above the surface. The voyagers observe material ejecting at velocities up to a kilometre per second, which is crazy. Um, there's lots of other sciencey stuff that I just bypassed because it was all over my head. Yeah, we, we, I said we're not going to read out every single bit of this. We'll just read out some of it because otherwise we'll be here forever. Ganymede <laughs> turned out to be the largest moon in the solar system with diameter measuring five. 1,276 kilometres, which is 3,280 kilometres. Um, Callisto has a very... Do you mind? Oh, sorry, you haven't finished speaking. Gonna, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, go on. Sorry. Then you can do Callisto. Thank you. It showed two distinct types of terrain, cratered and grooved, suggesting to scientists that Ganymede and entire icy crust have been untentioned from global tectonic processes, which means moon quakes, effectively. Go on, Jamie. Callisto has a very old, heavily cratered crust showing remnant rings of enormous impact craters. The largest craters have apparently been erased by the flow of icy crust over geologic time. Almost no topographic relief is apparent in the ghost remnants of the immense impact basins, identifiable only by their light colour and the surrounding subdued rings of concentric ridges. And Jupiter is 400 million miles away from Earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Uh, and they also found dusty ring of materials found around Jupiter in its outer edge is 129 kilometers, 129,000 kilometers away, or 80,000 miles from the center of the planet. It extends inwards about 30,000 kilometers or 18,000 miles. Two new small satellites, Adrastea and Mitris, were found orbiting just outside the ring. A new satellite, the was discovered between the orbits of Almafia. And IO. There's lots more. Um, are we going to go on to Saturn? Yeah. There's lots more. But as there's you really say. more. But their, their key point in the documentary was IO. Yeah. Effectively. But the, the, when it's been going since 77, there's tons of science. Yeah. And he said, you guys can say, we don't want to read all this out and, you know, <laughs> be here forever. But. Then they went to Saturn in 1981. Yeah. Which is a billion miles away. Um, Saturn is the second largest planet in the solar system. It takes 
29.5 Earth years to complete one orbit of the Sun, and its day was clocked in at 10 hours 39 minutes. Saturn is known to have at least 70 moons and a complex ring system. Uh, like Jupiter, Saturn is mostly uh, hydrogen and helium. Perhaps the greatest surprise in most puzzles were found by the voyagers in Saturn's rings. It was thought that the rings formed from larger moons that were shattered by impacts on the comets and meteoroids, resulting deaths and boulder size to house size particles have accumulated in a broad um, plane around the planet, varying in density. The regular shapes of Saturn's eight moons indicate that they are two fragments of larger bodies. Um, Saturn holds a wide variety of satellites in its orbit, ranging from uh, Phobo, a small moon that travels in a retrograde orbit and if we captured asteroid, to Titan, a planet-sized moon with a thick nitrogen methane. Uh, atmosphere. Um, the most active service of any moon seen in a Saturn system was that of Enceladus. In Enceladus. Oh, I don't know why I was thinking Enceladus. <laughs> no, no, Enceladus. Thank you, sorry. The bright surface of this moon, marked by faults and valleys, shows evidence of tectonically induced change. Um, Voyager one found the moon Mimas scattered with a crater so huge that the Im- that the impact that caused it nearly broke the satellite apart. Because I remember um, they mentioned that in the documentary. They feared that 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 was it, wasn't it? Yeah. That the whole thing had gone kaput. Oh, I love the fact that um, to protect the ground at one point, they went out and bought aluminium foil. Yeah. Which I thought was just hilarious. So you got all <laughs> this high-tech stuff, and they went out and bought aluminium foil that they kind of um, that sanitised and kind of... Mm. It's just hilarious. It's like, and that's on the outside of, of mm. it, right? Um, Saturn's magnetic field is smaller than Jupiter's, extending only one or two million uh, kilometres. And then in 1986... Sorry, not day today. Hello? <sighs> <laughs> you say, yeah, no, okay. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Uranus. Yeah. Um, so that was in 1986. Unfortunately, the same year as the Challenger disaster as well. Mm. Um, and is 1.8 billion miles away from Earth. Uh, do you want to read the blurb, Jamie? Um, yeah, Uranus is the third largest planet in the solar system. It orbits the sun at a distance of about 2.8 billion kilometres, 1.7 billion miles, and completes one orbit every 84 years. The length of a day on Uranus, as measured by Voyager 2, is 17 hours, 14 minutes. Uh, the present presence of a magnetic field in, at Uranus was not known until Voyager's arrival. The intensity of the field is roughly comparable to that of Earth's. Uh, it also has radiation built at Uranus were found to be intense, in, intensity similar to those of Saturn. Uh, Voyager found 10 new moons, bringing the total of up to 15. Most new moons are small, largest measuring about 150 kilometres, about 90 miles in diameter. The moon Miranda, in the in, in most of the five large moons, uh, was revealed to be the strangest yet seen in the solar system, uh, as it had a huge fault canyons as deep as 20 kilometres or 12 miles. Uh, so much there's so much more to it yeah should we read out uh, this Neptune then yeah yep 
Um, Neptune orbits the sun uh, every 165 years. It is the smallest of our solar system's gas giants. Neptune is now known to have eight moons, six of which were found by Voyager. The length of a Neptunian day has been determined to be 16 hours, 6.7 minutes, and it was um, flew within Neptune was it August 25th, 1989. Three billion miles away from Earth. Yep. A uh, large spot dubbed the Great Dark Spot is about the same size of Earth and similar to the Great Spot on Jupiter. It has clouds that are long, bright, similar to Sirius' clouds on Earth, were seen high in Neptune's atmosphere. Strongest winds on any planet were measured on uh, Neptune near the Great Spot. Winds blow up 2,000 kilometers or 1,200 miles an hour. Um, it's got a magnetic field. Uh, Triton Moon, it's the largest of all the moons of Neptune, was shown to be not only the most intriguing satellite of the Neptune system, but one of the most interesting in the solar system. Uh, and had an extremely thin atmosphere extending about 8 kilometers or 500 mi miles above Triton's surface. Nitrogen ice particles may form thin clouds a few kilometers above the surface. Uh, oh yeah. I'll read this out because I actually did a bit of Google for it. Surface temperature is about 38 kelvins of minus 391 degrees Fahrenheit, which works out to be minus 235 degrees Celsius, the coldest temperature of any known body in the solar system. Um, um, the names for the new moons were selected from Mythology's Water de Deities by the International Astronomical Union. They are Naiad, Thalassa, Despina, Galetia, Larissa, Proteus. And then after that, it then went on to go to its interstellar mission. So that's where it also gets quite interesting. So they, they continued and went out out into the galaxy in different routes. So we won't go into that because Jamie probably won't get it. Uh, well, I know about the, I know there was mention of the heliopause and something about termination shock, but I, I didn't honestly know what that meant. So. <laughs> Would they explain it in the documentary? I'm sure they did. I probably just forgot about it. But it's the point as the Voyagers cruise gratefully into the solar wind, their particles and wavelengths are studying the space around them. Um, what it basically means is there's a certain point where the influence from our sun drops off, right? And they've passed out it. That's what the heliosphere and the heliopause are. So it's that kind of... It's, it's that the bubble, the magnetic field that our star creates, that the sun creates. So it's, between, it's simply them going outside of it into interstellar space. So it's kind of like the shield between the sun and space, effectively. Yeah, yeah. In, a, in a way, but yeah, it's yeah. a magnetic field, but yeah, it's a kind <laughs> of, it's a big, huge yeah. bu bubble, which, as we said earlier, they crossed... 2012? Yeah, August 2012, yeah. Um... Barring any catastrophic events, Jupiter, uh, JPL should be able to retrieve information for at least the next 20 or perhaps even 30 years. Which is just incredible, you know, when you think about it. Um, is there anything else we can talk about? I think the only other thing we could, if we wanted to, I, I don't know if you want to, is just more about the kind of instruments on the probes and, it, and, the, and the different objectives. Yeah, we'll touch on that, I think. Yeah. 
this we've had many interruptions. I don't know how well edited this is going to be because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we've had numerous interruptions yeah. from things, so I'll see what I can. Yeah, we we do apologise for that, guys. <laughs> it wasn't planned, so it kind of has thrown us a bit. But it's it's just so much. But it's it's really interesting and well worth watching. It's kind of. When you realise they shoved three um, radioactive batteries on the side of it as well, you mm. just go, that's a bit bonkers. We've got three of them flying through space. Um, no, we have done that. The identical Voyager spacecraft are three axis stabilised systems that use celestial or gyro reference attitude control to maintain pointing of the high gain antennas towards Earth. Primary mission science payload consists of 10 instruments, 11 including radio science. Each spacecraft comprises of 65,000 individual parts. Many of these parts have a large a number of equivalent smaller parts such as transistors. One computer memory alone contains over 1 million equivalent electronic parts, with each craft containing some 5 million equivalent parts, which is bonkers. Because you've got to bear in mind, I think I remember Apollo, so Saturn V, I think I had a million. Wow. And so that's 69. Mm. Um, the compute, Command Compute System, CCS, provides sequencing control functions, contains six uh, fixed routines such as command decoding and fault detection and corrective routines, pointing information and spacecraft sequencing information. Attitude and articulation control systems controls spacecraft orientation, maintains pointing and high gain antenna towards Earth, controls attitude maneuvers and positions. The scan platform. Um, this is where it gets a bit technical. Upload um, communications is via S band, 16 bit per second command rate, while an X band trans uh, transmitter provides down, down link. Trim, uh, 10 military at 60 bits per second, normally at 1.4 kilobytes per second for playback of high rate plasma wave data. Uh, and that all goes via the high gain antenna, which is the really big dish you see on the front of it. Yeah. Um, and then literal power supply by three radioscopic thermoelectric generators. Uh, the power levels are about 24. 249 watts for each spacecraft um, and as I said it's running out of power as loads are turned off some spacecraft capabilities are eliminated so like running on minimum power at the moment mm. Jamie what are you thinking of reading um, I'm not reading it all no no of course not no um, let's see uh, the bus has an electronics we're going to that bomb yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the simpler ones. The basic structure of the spacecraft is called the bus, which carries the various engineering subsystems and scientific in instruments. It's like a, ten, a large 10-sided box, which can be seen in a Voyager diagram. Uh, the centre line of the bus is called the Z-axis, uh, and thus the high-gain antenna points to Earth. The spacecraft is designed to roll about this axis by firing small thrusters, which are attached to the bus. Which are filled with hydrazine. Um, 
Each of the 10 sides of the bus contains a compartment and a bay that houses various electronic assemblies. Um, bay 1, for example, contains the radio transmitters. Uh, shall I do the next one as well? Yeah, next we'll one. do Yeah, main summaries of it. The, C, uh, the, co the cosmic ray subsystem. The CRS looks only for very energetic particles in plasma and has the highest sensitivity of the three particle detectors. Very energetic particles can be found in often be found in the intense radiation fields. Uh, surrounding some planets like Jupiter, particles with the highest known energies come from other stars. Um, the cosmic as the CRS looks for, CRS looks for both. Yeah, there's, there's more to it, but it's... yeah, we're not going to read all this out because <laughs> it will be here forever otherwise. Uh, and as you said, we don't want to read it all out because you guys may want to have a look for yourself. So, um, I mean, there's so much here, isn't there? I think we just read the basic summaries and call it a day, Jamie. I agree. I've kind of underlined it all, so I think I'll probably be referring to what you've kind of underlined. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Hi, hi, now we've already kind of done a bit. It goes a bit more detail, but effectively it's just transmitters to get the data back to Earth. So I won't go over that, but we've kind of done that. Yep. Imaging science subsystem. This is one of the interesting thing. It's Vidacon cameras, which I think they used on I think Apollo. Hmm. <laughs> Not my data. I don't think we've ever had this many many interruptions on an episode before. It's got to be a record, I think. Doesn't it? Yeah. <gasps> right. A bit longer. Uh, so you, you this mentioned... This is going to be a nightmare. Have fun. Mentioning some... Um, the imaging science subsystem. Do you want me to read it? Uh, yes. It's a modified version of the slow-scan Vidicon camera designs that were used in the early marina flights. The ISS consists of two television-type cameras, each with eight filters and a, com a com commandable filter wheel mounted in front of the Vidicons. Um, one has a low-resolution 200mm wide-angle lens with an aperture focal length f3, while the other uses a higher-resolution 1500mm narrow angle um, unlike the other uh, onboard instruments operation of the cameras is not autonomous but it's controlled by an imaging parameter table resulting in one of the spacecraft computers the flight data subsystem or FDS you know what I'm making an executive decision we're calling it we're calling it day because we've had more interruptions than how many is that now that must be four or five four or five yeah and there is still probably a good, from memory service, probably another about six other instruments. Um, and we've been at this for about an hour. It probably won't be. It'll probably be about probably just under an hour because there's yeah. a lot of chopping and thing. I know. I think I have a rough guess how I'm going to do it. So you yeah. will have heard the yeah. So accessing uh, sound. There, there, there is go more. and check out the website because there's tons on there. 
did we've gone over all the science kind of all the key points yeah of you it. said we've not read out all the instruments on the pros but you guys can check out the rest of yourself but i would go and check out uh, the fathers because that's a brilliant documentary really was a great one yeah um just, just no luck today recording wise normally we have an a breeze normally we do have one recording and we get on with it yeah. and we end it but this one i've been out of this chair what Three times because we've had deliveries and phone calls and and it's it's not worth it because I know we'll end up having another interruption because I think we're due another delivery at some point so that will probably no my luck turn up or no mum mum will probably ring the door or coming up with shopping and stuff yeah so anyway. We apologise for the uh, continued interruption, guys. We didn't it's, anticipate it's, this. It's one of those things. Um, it's, it's been, yeah, it won't be quite as normal as you wanted it to be. Well, it's not worked out quite how we imagined, but I'm glad we recorded it because I was looking forward to this and it's yeah. been a fun thing. Truth be known, we don't actually know what the real science will be next year, but I've got a few ideas up my sleeve, but... That, that was fun, and I, I I love the fact that kind of they went here have the model. No, no, don't give us a fancy one. I just love that. I think that's just great fun. Just, but yeah, it's and I think for those I actually to go to Memory Alpha for those sort of things about Voyager Six and Voyager. So yeah. if you want to look that stuff up, go there yeah. rather than. But we'll include a link to the NASA website where we got all this, where Simon got this information from. And also, it's already prepped, but yeah, the IMDb for the, the farthest and yeah. Um, the yeah. JPL website. Yeah, um, you can download, you can buy the farthest on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So that's one way you can do it, yeah. but you can also buy the Blu ray and the DVD. Mm. So well worth buying and two hours worth of listening to people that know what they're on about rather than an hour of us two kind of stumbling through. Because it's it's fascinating, but actually hearing them talk about yeah, we had six weeks to record a gold record, which is bonkers turnaround time. Just kind of as I said, fifty five languages, picking one hundred and fifteen images in terms of and like sounds and because you've got to describe the whole entire world. No, we can't, but we've got to try one hundred and fifteen. Like that's not a lot. Thought occurred to me was like. Can you imagine if they tried to do it again? If we had another Voyager thing, how they could do another mm. time time capsule? How how much more they could put on it? Mm. Can you imagine you could you have this really tiny USB stick where you've got like um, a CD player? <laughs> oh yeah, well yeah. I said it. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because that had hardly any data on it, and you could probably fit more on it. You probably would be able to fit even more on it. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're resigning to it. It's not very often that they sit there and go, "That's we're, we're not going to follow through it entirely because we've been going at this about an hour and, the, the, yeah, interruptions are never great. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fine, it's fine. But, you know, we guys hope, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode anyway. Well, I'm, um, I think Jamie's happy you did the gold record because I think that's yeah. what he had his eye on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, should we mention what? What's happening next or should we leave that we'll leave it because we're yeah. still a bit off yeah so anyway um we'll be back we'll see another episode soon some simpler recording please yeah 
Um, no, we're going to make it very complex and complicated. Lots of notes, like 60 pages, yeah. Anyway, if you guys want to check out the links and find out more about uh, Space Probes, you're more than welcome to. We recommend it. We definitely recommend that documentary as well. Um, and, yeah, we'll be back soon with another episode. Yeah, talk to you then. Bye. Bye.